Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Checkup Podcast from Medcast. In this series, we discuss the importance of physical activity for the patients and just how far it goes in preventing and improving specific health conditions. And most importantly, discuss the underlying mechanisms of just how physical activity helps and the most up-to-date evidence of which types of exercise are potentially better for each specific medical condition. In this episode in the series, Dr. Alison Vickers, a GP of 33 years, and David Jenkins, Professor of Sports and Exercise Science from the University of Sunshine Coast and University of Queensland, discuss the role of exercise in prevention and management of osteoporosis. Hi, David. Another important topic today, bone health. Really important. I can't believe it. There are between 400 and 500 osteoporotic fractures every day in Australia. That, that's a whole lot of bone cracking and it's a lot of anguish. And it's a really personal topic for me. My grandmother came in at a BMD of minus eight in her 90s. I think it's the highest I've ever seen. And she had her most painful vertebral fracture. And that was just one of many at 94 when she was literally lifting the casserole out of the oven. I already score minus 2.5. So I think I'm kind of following in her footsteps. And so I'll be listening really intently today to all you have to say. I'm sure the very first advice you will give me is stick with medicine and podcasting aspirations and don't become an astronaut. I can't believe that living in zero gravity space, you lose 2% of your bone mass in, in just a month. For me, this is such a significant concept. I mean, thank you, gravity. And also, it makes you really realize that the forces on bones are the, the most important factor in keeping them strong, whether it's pushing, pulling forces on bone. So as an EP, what do you think of in terms of mechanisms for preventing bone loss and perhaps even improving bone strength, apart from, of course, avoiding space travel? Mm. Well, in, in addition to space travel, Alison, um, extended bed rest, for, as particularly as we get older, uh, can be catastrophic for the skeleton. So we've really got to make sure that we, we preserve what we have using every trick in the book we've got. And the most effective trick in the book that we have is exercise that um, results in um, deformation and strain and stress on bone. Bone adapts. It's a very rapid adapter. And we can see this with children. Um, children and adolescents, we know that if we want to protect them from, for, from osteoporosis you know, several decades down the track, the best thing we can possibly do is to engage them in activities that stress the bone it, 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 through skipping, jumping activities, weight-bearing activities. And then as we get older, we've got to still keep doing that, not necessarily to lay down additional bone, but to slow the rate of loss. So really, these forces are incredibly important. What do we think is happening at a cellular level? I always like to get down to, you know, well, what are those osteoblasts and osteoclasts doing? And David, you know I want to hear you say magic myokine here. I'll say magic myokines just to keep you happy, Alison. But, but, but the, the myokines in this situation, if they do play a role, it's probably a very minor role. We know that. The weight bearing is is the critical and most dominant 
a variable that is going to be influencing bone density. Um, so we get the myokines release when we swim and when we cycle, but it's the it's the weight-bearing activity, it's the deformation, it's the strain, it's the forces that are applied directly to bone that uh, elicit these uh, release of these cytoskeletal proteins that increase osteogenic gene expression. So without that weight-bearing, we're not going to get the retention uh, of the bone density and the bone minerals. Um, so myokines, absolutely, they play, a, they play a part. And we know that estrogen, of course, plays a part too. But the loading is the critical and by far the most dominant factor here. Okay, so a little role for magic myokines in any exercise that we're doing that is having a little effect on the bone. You'll give me that. But really what we're looking at here is cytoskeletal proteins that are stimulated by force. That just does not sound as sexy as magic myokines. But obviously this incredibly important take-home message that when we're thinking of exercise, we must be thinking of exercises that have forces and loading on bones that then, then they're stimulating and adapting to. When we're applying these principles to our patients and thinking about exercises, I think it's kind of good to think about them in three different risk groups. The kind of people who already, you know, still have great bones and we want to keep it that way. Those, I guess I put myself in that category with moderate risk that already have some osteopenia, osteoporosis, maybe no fractures, it's not that bad. And then there's that high risk group. Obviously, my grandmother right at the end of that with her minus eight and all her fractures. Let's start by focusing on that third group. I remember when we talked about osteoarthritis last week, you did say to me, and I remember this well, you know, there are exercises that people with osteoporosis should not do. And so I guess let's talk about that really important point, people with high risk, what sort of exercises shouldn't they do and what exercises should they do? Mm. Well, this is where, and I, I know I say this every time we speak, Alison, but this is where an exercise physiologist is going to be critical, particularly for those individuals who um, have a, a diagnosed osteoporosis, a high risk of fracture. They need to avoid, they need to be shown to avoid activities um, that will uh, introduce you know, significant flexion, for example, when lifting, loading objects, um, vertebral wedge fractures need to, can be avoided through, they need to avoid, for example, rowing, lifting weights with a flexed spine, even yoga and Pilates for the very high risk group should be really avoided. And for these individuals, um, it, it, it could very well come down to fall, uh, fall avoidance and fall prevention. Um, so that's going to be extraordinarily important uh, in improving balance, mobility training, using using resistance training as well. And 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 we've not really introduced very much uh, this morning, but the the importance of the musculoskeletal system. Um, the, when we talk about the forces on bones and the deformation strain, we've become we've become to recognise now that the uh, the muscles that surround these bones are very important for maintaining bone density 
at least reducing the loss of bone mass. Um, so muscle, in particular, the avoidance of sarcopenia becomes almost as equally as important as the weight-bearing activities. Um, and this is where resistance training comes into the picture as well. But just to get back to your high-risk group, um, th these need to be very carefully, these individuals need to be very carefully monitored, um, but it's falls prevention for these for these individuals, which is going to be of a, of, a, of a high focus. So all of that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, when I think about my grandmother, that's exactly what she was doing. She was flexing down, to, you know, to get a pot out of the oven, lifted the pot and her vertebrae just absolutely crushed um, with, with severe pain. So I can, I can really see those sort of movements. And it makes sense. If you keep your muscles bigger and stronger, then just by virtue of the fact they're bigger and stronger, then they're, they're putting more stress on your bones, I guess. And I agree. I think with these patients, I, through an EPC, will often try to organise uh, an exercise physiologist because it sort of gives me comfort to know. I know I just referred one yesterday, and this is a really interesting uh, guy because he's got a BMD of minus three. He's had a vertebral crush fracture. He's, he's not that old. He's only about 65. And I'm so interested to find that he's got MGUS. And, you know, that doesn't affect that. That's a, a pre-myeloma. That doesn't affect bone density, but that is also increases your risk of fractures. So I guess telling you all the stuff that's at play, but I've referred him to an EP because I wasn't comfortable telling him what exercises to do. So I think it's just being aware of those risks. But I guess the thing is, we don't really want to get to that point. You know, I, I kind of think I wish I'd done more in the past. And that's the, the group that's very important. And maybe we don't focus on enough. You know, our, our patients who, who don't have osteoporosis yet, the kids, the adolescents, the young adults, uh, you know, they sort of feel like they've got so much time ahead of them. And I was really shocked to read that two-thirds of Australians over 50 have a low bone mass. So once you get to 50, you know, two-thirds are already on the way there. And it's not just women, but 30% of men as well. So in our more preventative role, what should we be doing to help our patients to prevent bone loss of bone strength from an exercise point of view? Mm. Well, I mentioned children and adolescents. Um, so, so we lay down bone fairly rapidly to until our maybe early 20s. And then we don't lay down bone at all after that. So there's a focus, particularly in some countries, Canada comes to mind, where they have invested a fair bit of effort in, in primary school children, getting them to do jumping, skipping, hopping, a lot of uh, load-bearing, weight-bearing activities, the sort of things that we used to do, I remember, when we were children, <laughs> playing hopscotch and skipping and things like that, Alison. Elastic. I bet you played elastic. I wish I could say that I did that. I didn't have any coordination for stuff like that. I, <laughs> but, uh, but I used to look at people who did that and, and, and with envy too. Um, so the, the Canadians, I, I know one particular um, study in um, British Columbia, and the, the whole idea here was to build up as much bone density as possibly could by the time these children uh, reached the age of 20. And the idea being that if you built up this sort of bank of bone mineral, it would delay the onset of, of, uh, uh, of, of osteoporosis later in life. 
But once we've once we've moved through into early adulthood, where we're not laying down bone anymore, what we near really should be trying to do is to try and maintain as best possible and reduce the rate of loss. And and the rate of loss, I, I know as I've become older, I've become a lot more aware that there are a lot of things we can't improve as we go older. We just age. I mean, aging is is unfortunately inevitable. But what we can do is to reduce the rate of loss of a number of things, reduce the rate of loss of sort of muscle. Um, we can maintain or try and maintain cardiovascular fitness. And equally, we can try and reduce the rate of loss of bone. And I, in a gym a few weeks ago downstairs, I was looking at an EP with a, a person of certainly a little bit younger than I, a, a lady. And, and she, this lady was being shown to do vertical jumps and land on her heels vertical jump, land on her heel. And this is quite a deliberate uh, act to uh, apply very high forces to the skeleton. Um, so rather than having a person who would naturally be landing on their toes to absorb the forces, the forces were being deliberately sent up through the, through the skeleton. Um, and that's the sort of activity that we need to be trying to do as we pass through um, 20, in our 20s and all the way through into our into our 50s and beyond until we get to the point where we have significant osteoporosis and those, have activ- those sorts of activities could lead to fractures. So I guess that, that takes us through the moderate risk group where I'd consider someone like myself, um, where, as I say, I've got a lower bone density, I've got kind of risk factors for it, but uh, I haven't had any fractures and, you know, if it wasn't for technology nowadays, I, I wouldn't even know there was a problem. But... I kind of think that the exercises that my age group, and I guess particularly women that we like doing, are probably walking and swimming. And from what you're saying, these don't really stack. It's not that they're not good. Do it for all the other reasons, but they're not really stacking up for bones. I should probably be doing things like hopping, skipping, jumping. Maybe I'll get the old elastic out or, you know, draw up a hopscotch because all of those things were good. And the other thing I keep coming back to is is dancing. You, you know, this is like the magic my kinds. Everyone we go through, I think, well, this dancing, you know, has all the things we need, sort of re- it's not repetitive. You're changing what you do. It's also great for your balance. You're thinking about it. It's strengthening your muscles. Uh, so would you say for someone like myself, if I was seeing you, what would you recommend for me? Well, if you're a, a cyclist or a swimmer, Alison, I would say not to give up those because, as you mentioned, there are enormous benefits from those sorts of activities, but not directly related to bone health. Um, what I would encourage you and and uh, and the advice perhaps that the, the GPs are going to be able to give to their patients is to have variety. So the kind of weight bearing or the loading could be just as simple as jumping up and down 10 times and landing on your heels once or twice a day. But so, so it's mixing it up, doing your swimming, trying to get to a gym. I, I, I know I come back to this just as you love your magic myokines. I, I tend to come back to think that the resistance training is very important for maintenance of muscle health, uh, muscle mass as we age. And the 
the strain that the exercises that we would be doing in a gym will be applying to the bone is going to be very important as well. So if you were to, to look at a, a weekly training or exercise schedule, I would put in at least three or four resistance training sessions in there jumping maybe three or four times or three, four, five times, maybe once a day. I was going to say four times a day, but that's probably a little bit excessive. Um, but but also your aerobic tra- aerobic aerobic exercise as well. The thing is to avoid just being stuck in a bit bit of a routine and to, to ver- it's variety, absolutely variety. Absolutely. So different forces on different bones. And I guess if you don't like the gym and it's just not your, your culture – Maybe seeing an EP once, getting a program and being able to, to, to do it at home. And, you know, there's, there's many ways to get around that. Uh, and if there are sports you can still play that you feel like, I mean, a lot of people play tennis till they're really, you know, in, in quite, quite old. Those are all great things. Even something like golf, again, the walking maybe, but maybe the exercise from the, the muscles. I don't know. I've never played golf. And coordination too, Alison. So anything that's going to decrease our risk of falls as we grow older, and this is where Zumba and dancing comes in as well, the dual tasking. Um, we know that a lot of the the catastrophic falls that occur with our, uh, with our very, very older adults uh, quite often occur when they're dual tasking, when they're walking or trying to answer a phone or things like that. Um, so we can, if we train ourselves to dual task as we're growing older, we're in a way going to be preventing one of the significant risk zones, if you like, uh, for, for uh, fractures as we get really old. So another very important reason to... Uh, do something again like dancing. I keep coming back to dancing. You know, one of the things you said a few times is that uh, we, we don't necessarily improve our bone density. And I know the studies show that exercise, we can maintain it. We don't necessarily improve it. But, you know, there's there's not just the, the bone density. That's only really one measure of our bone strength. And I think as GPs, we're being encouraged more and more now to look at fracture risk rather with one of the calculators. So that is a, a more holistic look and perhaps that improves uh, as we do more exercise, we don't fall, uh, we don't have fractures. And also there's more research into looking at other things that may be important in bone strength, things like the size of bones, the microarchitecture, and the intrinsic properties. And we really don't know yet whether exercise perhaps improves that. So maybe there's more to the story and there are actually going to be more benefits we find and maybe a bit more for magic myokines there as well. I think so. I, I think bone density alone through uh, dual X-ray absorbiometry is only going to tell us a certain, it's not, it's not the most perfect predictor of fracture. So we know that, as you alluded to, that there are cross-sectional area internal structure of bones and you ask whether or not exercise is likely to change those and absolutely it would. Absolutely it would. So if we were to have the same conversation in five years' time, I imagine that we'll get a, a much broader and more complete picture of fracture risk and it would be in addition to factors, in addition to uh, bone mineral density as assessed by DEXA. Well, well, I think that is a really positive note to kind of round off what's been, I think, 
and what looked like could have been quite a boring topic that I think is actually a really interesting topic. And I think there's so much useful clinical information there for us to pass on to our patients that exercise of any kind is good. Um, but in the case of bone health, from what we know at the moment, we, we really need to keep those osteoblasts active and guessing and strive for exercises that put varying and where possible increasing forces and different forces in our bones. And these forces need to be applied in different ways at different times. And repeat a few times a day is better. Bones seem to get bored and sort of lose interest when you're not changing what changing up what you're doing. So I guess for our younger younger patients, you know, encouraging volleyball, squash, you know, any type of physical activity and as we're moving on but not at so much risk, for me I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get a skipping rope, maybe do some hopping, maybe do some jumping. I don't know about on my heels. I'll have to try that so it sounds uncomfortable. Uh, dancing, dancing, dancing and in the elderly, it's the still the same principles, but with a bit more care, uh, being mindful of the forces that aren't good on an osteoporotic bone, particularly the vertebra. Uh, but anything we do that improves strength, coordination, and I guess cognitive function and dual tasking is going to improve our risk. And uh, at a micro level, I have to get in there. There's probably a bit of magic myokines coming from just moving the muscles and other entrancing elements that no doubt, you know, drive these osteoblasts. But mainly you cannot get away from the fact that it's the mechanical loading that leads to protein expression and cascades of events that cause bone formation. Really interesting, important stuff. So, David, as I said, once COVID is over, because we're in lockdown again at the moment, I am going salsa dancing. What about you? Oh, <laughs> uh, I wish I could, Alison. I don't want to, I'd be simply embarrassing myself and my whole family and, and close friends. Look, when, when, when all the lockdowns are over, we'll have to get together to do some salsa dancing. Yeah, no, you might, you might struggle to find me if that's the case, Alison. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I can find you for these podcasts. <laughs> Lovely to chat to you, David. Thank you so pleasure. much. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Dr. Alison Vickers and Professor David Jenkins discussing the latest evidence in the use of physical activity in prevention and management of osteoporosis in primary care. The Checkup series of podcasts is brought to you by Medcast. Medcast offers a range of CPD courses for doctors, nurses and allied health professionals. Our courses range from the popular Hot Topics series of workshops and webinars to practical critical care courses. This year's Hot Topics webinar series is coming up in August. The course content covers the latest updates and evidence relevant to practicing GPs, including sections on osteoporosis and osteoarthritis. To view the complete list of topics covered and to register, visit our website, netcast.com.au. Thank you for listening. <music>